0: hello everyone thank you for tuning in to another episode of the naturalist capitalist this is your host reed coverdale as always uh if you haven't figured out that i got banned off of twitter yet uh you can find out here i guess but i'm probably not coming back because they know who i am now i just got banned for a ban evasion from my previous ban so if i do go back i'm gonna have to be somewhat incognito uh so at least the huge account is probably done unless leadership actually gets shaken up at twitter so you can follow me at all the links in the description on facebook instagram obviously youtube uh odyssey and then i've got a link tree with you know every single platform i'm on so make sure you go and follow me on all of those because you don't know where i'm gonna get disappeared from next And uh, buy my t-shirts. I'm wearing one right now. I got all sorts of different designs you can get. Uh, You can get hoodies too. You can get stickers. You can get all this at toplobsta.com and go to the naturalist capitalist section. As of right now, that is the best way you can support me. You can buy one and the money goes toward my show. And then you can also uh, wear the shirt around and help me expand my brand. So buy a shirt from toplobsta.com. Anyway, let's get into the show. I have Dan Taylor, who's the vice president of campus from Young Americans for Liberty on the show today. How are you doing, Dan?
1: Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to talk about a few different things. We're going to talk about Young Americans for Liberty a little bit. We're going to talk about different political strategies we could take and then some upcoming events we got. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is there's been a lot of discontent with a bunch of different people about some of the messaging uh, that's come out of YAL and some changes in leadership and stuff. Uh, Some people were, I've heard from inside the organization that there was, uh, you know, this distaste for, um, you know, kind of promoting gun culture or calling politicians liars and all these different things. Uh, so I'm not interested in getting in the middle of any sort of personal conflicts, any people might have, but I wanted you to answer or address, you know, some of the issues that I've heard from people about the messaging or the direction of young Americans for Liberty. Uh, what do you have to say? What do you think?
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. Jumping straight into this. So, uh, and I appreciate a deep conversation. So, um, I mean, that's pretty broad. Uh, I mean, Anything, when this type of stuff comes up, I, I really, I just try to point, you know, look at what we're posting, look at what we're doing. Uh, I really think actions speak louder than words, which is why we haven't really talked about this. Um, you know, currently right now, like we're talking about guns, right? So we have a, a chapter that's been organizing protests on their campus, as well as petitions. Uh, University of South Dakota School of Mines, I'm pretty sure, so that they can open carry their assault weapons on campus. Uh, I think like, you know, Lauren was one of the very first pe- people out of after the Uvalde uh, shooting that. Openly said that the problem with our uh, isn't more gun control, but we need more guns protecting our children. And I always think it's interesting that, uh, you know, in terms of school shootings or whatever else, uh, politicians vote and try to claim that they're protecting kids, but uh, yet when they try to protect themselves and when they try to protect Congress, it's the exact uh, way around. I was wondering if somebody would be brave enough to propose a bill that the same security measures uh, that Congress has has to be applied to uh, schools, whether that's a gun free zone or protection. But anyway, so, you know, we talk about, some of these controversies or whatever else, I mean, you know, it's no secret that there was, you know, staff uh, that there was change in leadership, which was, uh, you know, I think well needed. I think Lauren has, has done a lot to continue to grow, uh, drive and grow the organization into kind of a new and uh, probably more professional, better, stronger phase. Uh, but with that, we're not dropping any of this stuff. I mean, you can check right now, like we're posting all the time, you know, we're attacking Kamala, Liz Cheney, Dan Crenshaw, we're attacking any gun grabber, we're attacking Cornyn, uh, you know, who's the new spotlight, I think, for gun grabbers That sees a Flake, most recently. So, you know, if you want to dive more into it, you know, feel free to, if you got questions, I'm happy to talk about it. But one thing I just want to note is, uh, you know, if if there's concerns, just look at what we're doing. I mean, we worked on constitutional carry in Texas, Alabama, uh, Indiana, Uh, we just helped fix constitutional carry in New Hampshire, they said they had constitutional carry forever. But they uh, didn't allow people on uh, uh, snow skis, snow skis, snowmobiles. There it is, <laughs> people on snowmobiles oh, yeah. to open carry due to poaching or whatever else. So that just got removed. Uh, and we were working for the Second Amendment uh, Preservation Act (SAPA) in South Dakota. Um, I mean, this is all stuff that's been happening in the past six months. So I mean, guns is very much one of our top issues, uh, and we are we're constantly fighting that at the state level to prove. I mean, all this type of stuff and attacking any politician that flakes out on it just because of a you know a temporary crisis. Anyways, yeah, sure. Ahead. So l- let me just
0: <laughs> ask you, like, personally about what you think about different types of messaging. So, um, yeah, sure. you know, there are, there, there are organizations like Reason or the Libertarian Party, at least, you know, before a month ago, where they would technically usually take the right position, but they would almost apologize for it and like almost, mm. you know, tacitly endorse it you know just barely like over the line like okay yeah we'll technically do the right thing but we're going to do everything we can to message in the opposite direction what is your vision for how liberty should be espoused should it be bold should it should it ever be like provocative at all should it ever be edgy like what 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 do you like to see what's your favorite type of messaging that's put out
1: Yeah. uh, So up front, don't hide from your principles. I think that's one thing that's been a real problem uh, in messaging. I think a lot of times we try to and and man, I was getting furious with, I think, a lot of the national gun lobby over the recently because it seems every two years or so they back up 20 yards and then stake their camp. And then, you know, the next two years, they back up another 20 yards and keep losing our rights that way. Um, And it's because they're trying to find some logical reason that would appeal to a liberal or somebody who wants to take your guns as to why that you want to keep your guns or you should be able to keep your guns. That's not what it's about. I think, you know, our rights come from God. Uh, and the only purpose for the government is protect life, liberty and property. So if it doesn't fit within that framework, I think we should be proud to say that and, and be proud that we're right and not have to appeal to somebody else's idea of, of why we need what we need. It doesn't matter if you don't think I need what I need. Uh, what matters is if you have the right to have it and you don't. So, or, you know, don't have a right to take it rather. Um, so, uh, you know, up front I think we should be very proud and, uh, uh, and not hide about our underlying principles. I think some people try to be a little shifty with it and, and pretend like, you know, they don't they, Oh, well, you know, naturalist arguments or natural rights don't matter. Really what matters is, you know, I, this is a, an AR 15 and 30 rounds. It's a really good, good round for hunting. And, you know, I need to be able to take out some boar, but that's, that's not really why we need AR 15s. I could do that with a shotgun just fine. Uh, but that's not why I have it. So, you know, the guns are for the tyrants, not for, uh, not for the boar. Um, So, you know, up front. And another thing that we practice here uh, at Yale is confrontational politics. And the idea of confrontational politics is holding people accountable to their campaign promises, uh, essentially by any means. So uh, in Texas, we fought several people uh, very brutally and upset a lot of people uh, over our constitutional carry fight. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick got a lot of our heat because he claims to be conservative, he he claims to be pro-2A, yet he tried all sorts of back-end deals to kill constitutional carry or to water it down to the point that it was useless. So, I mean, he was one of the people that was first and foremost in our sights. Um, And we need to attack people when they play these games, both on the right and the left, uh, or anywhere, in the LP, you know, who cares? Uh, if Mm -hmm. if they're not holding to their values, they need to hear it. Their voters need to hear about it. And, uh, we need to start applying political pressure left with Alinsky, uh, rules for radicals. They've been doing this forever. It's time for us to do it. Um, I think a little bit, actually, if you don't mind, could you recap like your truck protest? I want to hear a little bit more about some of that stuff. I I was aware of it, but I didn't fully get the, get the story. So if you have like a two minute version, I'd love to hear more about that.
0: Of my truck protest. I I guess you got to expand on that a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, let me, let me back up what has been your involvement and holding people accountable over like the case of COVID?
0: Well, I mean, I luckily had an employer who didn't go along with any mandates. He he actually didn't have to (laughs) because the federal cases all got thrown out. Um, But he also didn't take initiative to go along with the COVID regime either. Um, And I did go to the, trucker protest when it was outside of washington dc it was uh like i was in washington dc as the trucker protest was approaching and showing up and they decided to go to i think it's haggers town or some place in maryland because they knew there were going to be tons of uh you know police officers and national guard and everything in washington dc and um what i actually noticed was faulty about the whole operation was um I, I had interviewed a lot of people who were up in Canada at the trucker protests and things in Canada were way worse than they were down here It never got even close. But there was no partisanship to the protests in Canada. It was all about, you know, we just oppose the mandates and we oppose Trudeau in his authoritarian power grab Where in America, when I went to the protest, at least it was very, very Trump, you know, it was just all Trump, Trump, Trump It was very right wing explicitly, it was very religious, you know, I don't, I didn't really get this uh, bipartisan opposition to, uh, you know, unjust authority that I got from the, you know, the people I interviewed up in Canada. Now, I never went to Canada. So maybe it was different on the ground, but I talked to a lot of different people. And they all kind of gave me that vibe. Um, so I don't know, like that, that's a good question for you, actually. Like when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to approaching these issues, do you think it's important to refrain from going too, you know, becoming too entrenched in one side of the culture war or the other while well, not, while well, also not remaining irrelevant, like sometimes you have to. Invest in culture in order for anyone to pay attention to you, but you can also become kind of this blind partisan tool that's not advancing liberty anymore. How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this, this starts getting a lot of strategy stuff, but um, uh, I think so. On the on some of the trucker stuff with the Canadians, I, I think the way the, the Canadians and you know feel free to disagree with me, but I think the way the Canadians did it was more effective because. They left all that other nonsense on the sidelines. You know, oh, I like right. I voted for Trump. So I, I like, you know, some of the people in there are doing good things, but the others aren't. You can't give a clear message like that, you know. So I think the Canadians in the sense of, no, we're upset. This is tyranny and we're going to cause political pain until the tyranny stops. And, and I think that's the proper way to kind of message and approach that. Um, and, and what was the second part of that? The, the, the question you asked?
0: Uh, It was like, how do you not become too entrenched in Mm -hmm. one side of the culture war or the other, but you still still remain relevant enough? Because sometimes, like, you just frankly are on one side of part of the culture war if you're advancing liberty. Like, some parts of the culture war are just anti-liberty, but sometimes you could take that too far and just end up becoming a partisan idiot that's not, you know, advancing the cause of liberty anymore. So how do you approach that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's so we call that access. Uh, if, if you get fall, if you fall to that type of thing. So access isn't bad. But what essentially access means is you're playing all these political and partisan games to gain favor, just so that you're listened to, so that you are allowed to come to the soirees, you're allowed to come to the conventions, you, uh, you know, but essentially, you're treated like a pet of the establishment. And that's not effective at all. And there's many, many people who claim to be liberty, or maybe even maybe they started with good intentions. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to judge that. But Uh, and then, you know, you see them play this access game to a point in which they are completely useless, useless. We saw this with a a person that we got elected named Stuart Jones in South Carolina. You know, we were on fire for him because he was somebody that had, when we were talking to him, he he has Hayek, uh, uh, books, uh, even in his legislative office. So, you know, you'd think this would be someone who was really strong. Uh, but the problem is he kept playing these games where he kept playing up to Lindsey Graham. He kept playing up to, all the other squishes in South Carolina, which by the way, South Carolina is a is, uh, horrifically uh, squishy state for politicians. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and instead of helping us push constitutional carry, he ended up uh, trying to kill our bill in favor of open carry because he thought it was more viable. But I mean, we knew just based off, it, it's a Republican legislature. There's no way we couldn't pass constitutional carry, but he was squishing to the establishment because they didn't want to be that radical. They didn't want to play that message. Uh, and that's when it kills your policies. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what that looks like. You need to come in there with a confrontational understanding. Uh, this is what I believe I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to hold people accountable who don't agree with me on this. And I'm going to, uh, like people who are agreeing with me on this. It doesn't mean that you like them every time. It doesn't mean you hate them every time, but you know, I don't care who is hurting our bills or who is hurting Liberty in that case. You have to go after them, uh, either if you liked them beforehand or not. And to the culture war comment, I always like to default to the Ron Paul thing, because I think he's, he's, he's been through generations of different cultures that have rapidly shifted around his ideas but he just always came back to the principles uh essentially look the culture war is a distraction xyz is how the government should behave as long as you're not trying to implement government programs to enforce culture because if you are it's going to hurt you in 10 years i promise you it's on your side now wait until the next president uh and we saw that with obama but you know get back to the basics of the government is the problem in this situation not whatever you know uh, foreground uh cultural issue you see. I guarantee you somehow it leads back to the federal reserve.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it's interesting to see how, you know, the sides kind of shift back and forth. So 20 years ago, I think it would have been a lot easier to, you know, find a lot of overlap with someone who considered themselves on the left, because like 20 years ago, the right still kind of dominated the culture, you know, with, you know, the Harry Potter books are of the devil and, uh, you know, gay marriage is, you know, illegal still. And, um, you know, if, if you don't think we should be going to war, you're a terrorist sympathizer or whatever, like those days, it's probably a lot easier to sympathize with someone on the left. However, I'd say today, it's actually a lot easier to find someone on the right. Who's more sympathetic toward the ideas of Liberty. And it's mostly because those sides are getting, squashed by their opposition you know it's usually whichever side is losing liberty sounds great right like if you're yeah. not if you're not standing over the other guy with a sword then liberty is awesome and then once you have the sword it's like yeah f- screw that i've got all the power i want i'm going to use it to dominate the other side um but it seems lots of people are unable to register that it's a sliding scale you know depending on what is going on depending on who's in power, depending on, you know, what cultural sway is overtaking the country, you're not always going to find the same fertile ground in the same places. Do you find that to be the case too, that it's kind of, it changes as time goes on?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've thought about this uh, at, at times, the left and the right are Republican and Democrats. The reason we have such a major two-party system is because they are constantly floating and, and adjusting and recentering themselves against each other to, to open up the, the largest swath of the population. So you are always gonna have somebody who's culturally dominant in a party that is culturally not dominant, uh, which is gonna be the grassroots party versus the uh, established party. And then once the grassroots party gains the established, they're gonna be the established party. And then the you know the previously established party is gonna be the grassroots party and they're gonna be for the cultural minorities and uh, and for liberty in, in that cultural sense. So, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's going to teeter with the pendulum as it swings. And I think we need to be prepared as liberty activists to understand that and understand that's part of the, the system in which we are in, um, which, by the way, isn't a it's not like it, it's not an impossible system to achieve liberty in. You know, New Hampshire, for example, has has gone great strides and is incredibly more free of a state than New York or California. Um, and there are several states that are following it, such as uh, Kentucky, Indiana, Idaho, uh, South Dakota, um, uh, which have been some states that have made some great strides. Florida and Texas are, are well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to give Texas uh, credit. Abbott's uh, not <laughs> Abbott's squished okay. on COVID like the rest of them, but uh, you know, it, the point being is there has been movement at state level uh, with people who recognize the cultural winds will always move. Uh, if you are in power now, then you're not going to be in power in five years, and you better hope you didn't uh, create some system that will oppress you. So uh, maybe the the vast majority of Americans won 't understand that, but I think that the few people who are the hardcore long term liberty activists that are willing to fight to achieve liberty in their lifetime, those who are actually the warriors, uh, I think they need to recognize that and be prepared to hold people accountable uh, both when they 're in power and out of power and I think with Trump, I think a lot of people that were supposed to liberty activists uh, kind of squished on that and kind of uh, uh, drank the kool aid so uh, you know I think they might be coming back now, but Um, we have to be aware of that, uh, and we have to ensure that every other activist is held accountable and understands that as well.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, you know, surveying when Republicans are in power versus when Democrats are in power. Um, because, you know, we, we had this strange stretch under George W. Bush where the left wasn't really an institutional power, at least not in any way that they are today, and they were actually kind of okay. Like the left was, I mean, they were sort of relatable and understandable. Now, when the Democrats aren't in power, they're awful too. Like they're just awful all the time. I, I, like, I hate Republicans <laughs> who are in power because when the Republicans are losing, they actually sound kind of okay. You know, they're like, all right, yeah, we need smaller government. We need to rein in this. Um, you know this irresponsible spending or whatever. But as soon as they're in power, they're awful. Where now the Democrats, like under Trump, they were, they were still terrible. I mean, they weren't complaining about him doing arms deals to Saudi Arabia or you know mm-hmm. vetoing the end of the war in Yemen or you know, um, you know, being the most Zionist pro Saudi Arabia president ever. You know none of that like real legitimate evil stuff that he was doing was getting any scrutiny. It was just that, Oh, he's a racist or, Oh, he's a, you know, a whatever. And they never went after him for any of the actual terrible things he did where Republicans like sort of do like the Republicans are actually a lot of them at least are very critical of the way Biden has been handling Ukraine. So I kind of like to always extort Republicans for my vote. You know, I'm going to be like, all right, If you're going to be a good Republican in power, that, that takes a lot. Like, you know, someone like Mm -hmm. Mike Lee kind of passes for me, you know, it's like, all right, whatever. Like he's not a libertarian, but he's pretty good, you know, as far as being in the Senate goes or whatever, but, um, I would rather have a Democrat win than an awful Republican because awful Republicans, when they're in charge, they're just straight up awful. And then we don't have a good opposition party because now when the Democrats aren't in charge either, they're still awful. They're not focusing on anything that matters. So I'd rather like force Republicans to be as libertarian as possible or give the election to a Democrat. That's kind of where I stand. And that's kind of controversial. A lot of people get upset at me about that, but It's the way I feel. But what do you think? Like, what's the best strategy as far as, you know, uh, challenging people in order to get your vote? What's the best way to extort them or, you know, try to get some policy into place or try to make them better? What are your thoughts on all that?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So I think the failure, I think this is a societal failure, right? The failure is uh, not connecting the electoral season to the legislative season. Uh, we need to be much better about that as citizens. And as liberty activists, I think that should be, I mean, that should be on our mind 100% of the time. So uh, and what I mean by that is people who give good pol- political campaign promises, how many liberty people have gotten elected and squished? I mean, like, look at the Tea Party movement, for example. There was a couple good ones, Amash, uh, Massey, Rand. Uh, I would say they were all, I mean, I-, I think they've all been very net positive for the liberty movement. Uh, but then many of the other ones that they ran with squished, including Cornyn, including Ted. Uh, and, uh, and many other uh, Lindsey Graham, I mean, Lindsey Graham has been around forever, but he also, uh, followed the tea party movement, pretended to be that guy. And then now he's, you know, one of the ones who's, who's trying to champion the gun control movement. So, mm-hmm. um, we need to hold these people accountable. So it, Cornyn should never be able to say he's pro gun again in his life without, with any right. credibility. Uh, and I know just based off how a lot of these, uh, bigwig people and a lot of the money moves, uh, he, he's going to be protected based off of a few people who think that, it is more, it's better for liberty if Cornyn still wins because Cornyn isn't as bad as the other guy. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're pretending he's good. He's not. Uh, he needs to be replaced. And if that's what the Democrat, that's fine. Because in four years, there's going to be a better Republican that can replace him. Um, and when I say these parties, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't. It, I, I am completely outside the idea of parties at all. There's just politicians, and it's just how you hold them accountable. So, uh, if, if Cornyn isn't, if Cornyn is bad on guns, hit him on guns. You know, it doesn't matter if he's going to be the Republican or not. It doesn't matter if he supposedly used to be a better Tea Party guy. I don't care. Like, he's not going to get that credibility. He's not going to get that votes. And that's how societally we need to go. But liberty activists need to make sure that that is well known. Um, state level is is far more positive. Uh, and uh, there's a lot more success with liberty groups at the state level than there is at the federal level. Federal level, I don't really know a solution. Uh, I just talked to Clint Russell. Uh, there's podcast actually dropping Tomorrow uh, Wednesday. He sucks. Is. No, I'm
0: just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> He's a friend. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just talking to him about this, uh, mm-hmm. about how, I don't know what the federal solution is, but it doesn't look like there's, it, it's going to go very far. So uh, we got to focus on the States. You know, the establishment of New Hampshire is, is incredibly good, which is like kind of an incredible place to be at. Um, and I'm sure there's some New Hampshire people are going to get mad. at A couple of politicians like Sununu or whatever else, look, uh, you know, look at all the other States and, and you should feel a lot better about it. Um, so there are ways to hold people accountable, but these groups and people and very few, it doesn't take a lot of people, it just takes a lot of, de- or it takes a couple of dedicated people who are trained and understand that they need to attack the closest evil, not the most evil, might be a way to put that, uh, to, to hold these state legislators accountable because we can pass these bills. I mean, I, um, and, and there's a few people like, uh, I just real quick, I want to shout out like Curtin Isley in Indiana absolute hero ron paul like like mm-hmm. like literally as good as ron paul and like uh you know i would back him up any day of the week uh and he was in legislation for about i think six eight years maybe uh he proposed constitutional carry five times finally got it passed his last year uh he also in the past year or uh, over the covid years proposed three different uh removals of executive powers from eric holcomb eric holcomb got furious uh dropped a half million dollars against him when he only raised seventy thousand. So just, I mean, he, he emptied his war chest on a state rep that was just being a thorn in his side constantly and, and getting these bills elected and actually embarrassing him uh, because he was forcing him to sign these radical bills like constitutional carry that Holcomb didn't want to sign, uh, as well as holding him accountable to COVID, uh, unlike many of the other Republicans that squished. So, I mean, uh, Nicely ended up losing his election, but with Yal and with, you know, because we endorsed him in 2018 and helped him get reelected. But we elected three more people in his place outside of that, because he was taking so much money from the establishment that they couldn't spend it on these other people we were endorsing. So there's still a net win for Liberty. Even after he goes in there, he banishes, he, he waves the flag. Uh, he runs there unapologetically. He attacks the governor when the governor's wrong, which attacking the governor in your own party when you're elected rep is, is some people consider political suicide. But um, and, uh, and he held him accountable. He got the bills passed he wanted to pass, uh, he made a full welcome and then he dipped out and he's been replaced by three more people. So, you know, we have to think about being that, those, those heads, uh, the Hydra, right. If, they, if they're they going to take one of us out, they're gonna have to spend so much money. We're going to put two more in its place. Um, right. and, uh, we can be that imposing, uh, as long as we can stay focused on the mission.
0: Yeah. I, I also think it's interesting that, you know, certain people, when they're in a certain position, they're harmless, or can even be, you know, beneficial. But if they're in a different position, they could be detrimental, and you'd want to get rid of them at all costs. So, if a communist is running for district attorney, I don't really care what their economics are. I care about, you know, mm. what they think about like criminal justice reform and stuff like that. And then, uh, so like, I supported Tulsi Gabbard for president in twenty twenty. Because my thought was, as president, she's going to have a lot of control over foreign policy, and she's going to be able to veto bills. A lot of this domestic spending that she wants to do is going to have to get approved by Congress. I'm not really too worried about it. Uh, You know, Ron DeSantis, like I understand, uh, voting for him as governor in Florida, but I don't want that man anywhere near the White House because his foreign policy is awful. He loves the national security state. So, you know, sometimes depending on where somebody is placed, it's necessary to try to get rid of them or not. And Sununu is a good example of that. Like he plays ball with the free staters, right? Like he doesn't flat out oppose them and try to obstruct them. So like getting rid of him isn't a top priority right now because he kind of goes along with the flow. Um, So, you know, choosing your battles and who you really want to get rid of and who's most detrimental to me, it doesn't even necessarily mean what their views are. It's what their views are, you know, in relation to what their position is. What are your, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, um, you know, so when we do trainings uh, for our Yale students at our grassroots action, our trainings, one of the big uh, talking points, one of the big motifs, if you will, that we use as politicians are tools, not people. Um, And the idea behind this is uh, oftentimes we look at politicians as leaders, as what they believe, are they, you know, libertarians look at them, are are they philosophically hardcore? Uh, There's all these like little things that we put in place of what our politicians should be. But at the end of the day, politicians are just a tool to enact change. Uh, Who is using them is who is going to be able to enact that change. So when things are going poorly, it's because the wrong people are utilizing the politicians more effectively than you are. Uh, you need to realize, and I think everybody needs to realize that politicians themselves aren't the problem. The problem is how are we applying and making the change in politicians? Um, so, you know, that's a fair point with Tulsi or whatever else, you know, if there's a person in a place that, you know, regardless uh, if, if they can be used to pass a bill or to kill a bill, which is more important than passing bills, by the way, um, yes. then they should be able to be used that regardless of where they are. You know, if you can use AOC to kill, uh, a, uh, a bill against free speech uh, or something like that, uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, then user, that's, that's the point. Yeah. User, right? Um, and focus on the bill, focus on the actual liberty people feel, not the, not the politicians. The politicians are a distraction. Uh, I think the well-established people and I think the very, very big influencers in society recognize that and they truly don't care if uh, let me think, if Lindsey Graham gets elected saying he's going to be pro guns, the question is when the actual votes come up, what matters. So with that, uh, you know, I I think you you have a fair point. Um, we we got to be careful about where people are placed and when and what battles to pick. But I think the battles you need to pick is who is the most direct threat to your uh, to your bill. Uh, um, and I say bill, and it's like everything revolves around bills. But like we, I think we should start to look at the liberty movement as a series of bills that are either won or lost. Uh, and, and start building our charts off that, and understanding our targets off that. Because if there's a deep blue district, right, we're never going to win it. I don't care. Like you know, don't don't worry about that. That's not a that's not somebody you can take off the board. But if there's a district that's supposed to be deep red that has a guy who flakes on you every year, take him out first because he's the threat. Even if he's quoting Hayek. Back to the Stuart Jones example. The reason I use him is because he's a perfect example of a guy who claims to be libertarian, uh, runs as a libertarian. Deep red district um, runs around with those talking points. But then when it comes up to vote, he flakes on us because he's more concerned about the about his political career. You can't have people like that. So I would rather take him out than, you know, the Democrat that's in a plus 10 D district who cares about him. He's going to be a Democrat no matter what. And obviously, strategy changes on if you own the house or not and all that type of stuff. But you got to focus on uh, what gets your bills passed first, who cares about the antics later.
0: Yeah. So what are the prospects look like for liberty candidates in the midterms coming up? Are things optimistic at all? Or is it just going to be a complete red wave with a lot of shitty Republicans just because they have an R next to their name and people are sick of the Democrats? What are you you hopeful for?
1: Well, (laughs) that's the great question of 2022. So I think everybody recognizes, unless uh, uh, Republicans historically fumble the bag, there will be a red wave. The question is, is it gonna be populist or will it be people of principle? Um, So right now, Operation With The Door has had a a ton of success. We're netting uh, Hazlitt members in every state. And if you don't know, Operation With The Door is our initiative to get students on the ground of liberty campaigns and get them elected. Uh, We're gonna hit our 250 by 2022 benchmark before revolution. So we're hoping to celebrate that at revolution. Uh, and and why these legislators are the ones that are passing constitutional carrying in the states I mentioned, uh, health care reform, school choice, uh, you know, tons of the COVID tyranny killing those bills. Uh, you know, so those, those were those were a lot of our big legislative priorities that we've had success in and we're going to continue to. Um, but it's been looking good. I mean, here's the thing. People are fed up with both sides. Uh, and I think that's worth recognizing now. Uh, so incumbents have had an incredibly. A, a historically low reelection rate. Uh, in the primaries. And that's a good sign for grassroots candidates, uh, especially for the type of people that we have in the state legislature now. Um, so, with that, uh, there is some optimism. Now, the populists are populists. So, you know, they, I think for the vast majority uh, of red elections, they will win those. But at the same time, there's going to be a much larger proportion of Liberty legislators. Uh, we're going to have a coalition of 250, maybe 300 people total. So that means if you look at 5,000, we're going to have five to 7% of the people are people who are going to vote our way, which are going to be hardcore on guns, going to be, you know, healthcare reform, CJR, uh, criminal justice, criminal justice reform, uh, and and follow those bills as well as knock down all these ridiculous executive powers that have been put in place in COVID, many of which are still in place. So I am optimistic on these things. Things are netting in the right direction. Uh, I mean, just as you would expect any time though, the populists are gonna win most of them. But you just need a few hardcore people to really drive the populists. That's the thing about populists, is they can be easily manipulated uh, either direction. So we'll throw a few pieces of mail, we'll knock some of their doors, we'll make some calls, we'll make them vote the way we want to. So I, I see a very, very good 2023 legislative year at the state level. The federal level, who knows, uh, it might be horrific. So uh, we just need to see the fe- the, the federal level is gonna keep tanking the way it goes, but uh, we're gonna focus on the states, make sure there's a few free states left over.
0: So, what is the best thing about the kind of Trumpist populist movement that exists on the right now? What what positive attributes do you see coming out of that?
1: It's scarier than it is positive, but uh, um, here's the thing: uh, Trumpists and Trumpism forced the Republican Party to change. So, I talked about how parties are always the the, the two parties are always changing and realigning themselves, right? Uh, I believe that Republicans are becoming are going down on the political compass and becoming more extremist far right wing. Now, there's a few issues that are definitely concerning that we need to keep an eye on like there always has been, but they're becoming increasingly more anti-war. They increasingly care less about the drug war. Uh, uh, Now, some of these cultural things are a problem, but they're starting to uh, at least. In some cases, the, the solutions are becoming better instead of just creating some state program to turn it out. Oftentimes, I think they're trying to eliminate powers in certain areas, such as school boards. Uh, so school choice is becoming incredibly popular. Uh, uh, another option that the right wing wasn't always super solid on. So the right wing is dropping and becoming more right wing. Uh, and that is forcing the Democrats to become more authoritarian and more left wing, which is why we're, we're seeing a lot of these these leftists who maybe used to be pro CGR, uh, um, uh, you know, pro pro. Uh, uh, reevaluating law enforcement if, I, if if you will uh you know anti uh, all these different you know state powers in a sense they're becoming the the communists the the authoritarian communists as they rotate to realign themselves with populism which has inherently forced it down now my question is how long does this populist wave last and where does it take the the party and where does that take the democrats uh, that's a different question but as for now uh it's a very very good year for for liberty candidates um and it's a year for us to knock out a lot of people who've been around forever because people are very, very upset with the establishment based off of just the two years, the past two years alone. So yeah,
0: no, I mean, I agree with that assessment pretty much entirely because it's disappointing to look at the left and say, Hey man, you were so good on the war in Iraq and wanting to reduce the power of law enforcement like three years ago. And you were skeptical of big pharma having all this power. And then you just like threw that all out the window and then I see some Republicans starting to, you know, wonder why we're still in Syria right now or why mm-hmm. we we're in Afghanistan as long as we were. It is pretty remarkable. And as someone who comes from the right and had a lot more prejudice against the right because I held them to a higher standard than the left, it's been it's taken me a bit to, like, admit that that is true. But
1: it is no. kind
0: of crazy. So
1: think about this, if covid happened in two thousand and six, I think the Republicans would have been the one that was was yeah. was suppressing uh the work that was uh was driving the increase in police enforcement uh and would have been driving all these authoritarian things uh, that that just i think shows how much the party has changed in fourteen years on both sides at the left and you know with the Democrats were the one that took that fight up where traditionally that would have been a right wing fight,
0: yeah, no, it's really ironic and then. The other thing is, um, you know, a lot of people from the populist right who I have really good rapport with and, uh, you know, who listen to my show, it was very easy to show them how much the Republican Party sold them out, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because I I didn't talk to them like they were idiots. I just talked to them like normal people and welcome them into the fold. And then I say, now look at what (laughs) look at this bill that Trump just signed that gave billions of dollars to, you know sudan and egypt and you know when you were locked in your house um you know and really making them realize there's only like three republicans that give a shit about their bodily autonomy (laughs) or their liberty or anything um and i think like some of the biggest uh the most some of the most annoying people i see are the ones who are trying to like tell them, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. Like Trump is the best. We need him back. We need him to come back and we need to just vote Republican and blah, blah, blah. When these people, a lot of them have been pushed to the edge of everything they knew and were willing to be like, okay, I'm really, you know, rethinking a lot of this stuff. So um, I don't know, there's a ton of potential there and it's really exciting to see. That's where I personally have had the most success with a lot of those types of people. Um, anything else you want to bring up about strategy or, you know, elections coming up this year or.
1: Yeah. Just one more thing you mentioned, which is interesting. So I, these part the parties and how they've been changing has been pretty radical past two, two, four years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were mentioning this. There were so many people that I think felt isolated without a party for a while there. Um, you know, look at, look at the middle of 2020 when, uh, under, under Trump, uh, all these COVID regime-style stuff was being put in place, and uh, an incredi- incredible amount of fascism, including economic fascism, which is, uh, you know, being suppressed by hurting people's uh, incomes and livelihood, which uh, has traditionally been a thing that was championed by the Republicans in, in a positive light. Uh, as well as, you know, the stuff of police reform, leaving kind of the democratic uh, establishment uh, as, as one of the main issues. I, we saw an incredible spike of extremism, right? So i uh, thinking about Boogaloo stuff, thinking about BLM, thinking about, uh, you know, where the, the January 6th protest, just to say, I think right now it's very clear that people um, have no confidence in their government. And that's a, a historic and massive opportunity for our movement. Uh, We need to utilize that. We need to ensure that people getting elected here are people we can control. Uh, I don't care uh, as much about, you know, some of the other attributes that people care about. Like, can the liberty movement control them? And can we hold them accountable to the people that vote them in? Um, And then on top of that, the bills that should be coming the next few years. uh, It'll be a big difference. How how much the liberty movement rallies behind this will make a difference is, are we more or less free than before COVID? Because COVID put up an insane amount of structures that are oppressing people right now. The liberty movement can rally against that. We can make way more movement and be a much freer society than we were 10 years ago. You know, it, 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 maybe even 20 years ago, if the federal, uh, if, the, if the feds, uh, if there's a solution to that, if they start falling apart one way or another.
0: Sure. So let's talk about uh, Rev 2022. So that's the Young Americans for Liberty getting together down in uh, Orlando, Florida, coming up in August. Uh, what is that event going to look like? What's going on there?
1: Yeah, so like, like I said, we're about to hit 250, uh, which was our goal since 2018. So that's going to be very big. We got a lot of bills to celebrate too. Like our our, our uh, coalition of like 178 from last year uh, passed uh, or proposed like 1144 bills um, that were we deemed as like liberty legislation uh, and uh, enough passed that 88 million Americans are now more free. And that's just based off of you know who was impacted by the bills so for example i mentioned indiana alabama texas con carry we also passed a bunch of uh, uh school choice bills which impact the the people who are homeschooling as well as those who are in charter schools and whatnot so uh, we have a lot to celebrate inside of that and uh, we want to make sure that's well known on top of that like i said all the owd people who are getting elected but it's also just an opportunity to bring the whole movement together recognize that this is a new revolution uh, one that Ron Paul planted the seeds of, I think it's finally starting to sprout. Uh, it's a slow-growing oak, if you will, and it's, it's a lot more powerful than I think it was in 2012. Uh, we're just seeing the beginning of it. People are mad. People realize no one's going to come, you know, no one's going. no one's saving them, right? Uh, and uh, it's time to capitalize on that. It's trying to get people uh, organized and trained and get them in the right places to make that impact. So uh, we're trying to get students on operation with the doors as well, but as well just recognize the, the power that we've had. And with that, we have, I mean, uh, all sorts of uh, people coming. We got, let, let me read off some of the confirmed speakers. We got a lot more, but I just, I just brought the ones I thought you might be interested in. Dave Smith's gonna be there. Kennedy, Corey DeAngelis, Doug Bandow, uh, Brad Palumbo and Hannah Cox, Zuby, AK guy, Brandon Herrera uh ron paul is going to be there ram paul is going to be there tulsi gabbard glenn jacobs michael malice and then obviously uh you three uh clint russell mark claire reed coverdale we're going to be doing a live podcast with you guys i think that's going to be pretty excited i thought we'd get the get the band back together so to say
0: <laughs> um
1: so that'll be exciting live recording of that uh I, i'm excited to see you guys talk in front of a crowd because i know you guys have followings i know there's a lot of people who are real excited about you uh it's good to get those people in there but, so what i've been saying uh Quick side note. So Rand Paul is virtual, but the rest of them are in person. Uh, He had a conflict. But anyways, so the whole point here is let's get a a, a thousand of our students and we're capping at a thousand. Last year we sold out uh, and we plan to sell out this year as well. And, you know, we got even more speakers and I think bigger speakers than we did last year. Uh, The whole point is let's get a thousand kids in the room. Recognize there's a new revolution coming on. It's time to jump into this fight head first. Uh, and don't look back because that's what we need. We need a real movement. We need warriors. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of them and we need a lot more. So uh, it's, it's the opportunity for us to radicalize these kids.
0: All right, man. Well, where can people find out about the event and sign up for it and also uh, just, you know, getting involved with Young Americans for Liberty in general? How can people do that if they want to?
1: Yeah, so whyliberty.org/revolution uh, is where you can sign up. Uh, if you want to jump straight into the campaigns, dive head first into the uh, the incredible opportunity the liberty movement has uh, this year. slash knock I think those are the two ways that we should we should push students. You know, get them there. Meet you. Meet Clint. Meet uh, Mark Claire. Meet everybody else that I mentioned. Uh, Dave Smith, Michael Malice, Kennedy, Ron Paul, uh, and uh, get radicalized. We need people to jump in this movement head first. Like I said, so this is the opportunity. Uh, if you, if you want to sell. Celebrate with all of us, whyliberty.org slash revolution. If you want to jump in the campaigns head first, why slash knock.
0: All right, man. Well, is there anything else you want to include anywhere people can follow you personally or anything else you want to say?
1: No, man. I, I'm not I'm not interested in uh in, in my own brand. So I just want to get people to revolution. We've got to get these kids radicalized. We gotta we gotta t- we gotta end the state. We gotta fight back. So <laughs> I'll just stick to that.
0: All right, man. Well, thank you for inviting me to speak. And thank you for coming on the show. It was a good conversation. And uh, thanks, to everyone, for watching.